Our new hymn is on your white insert sheet. It's the hymn of the day for 17th Sunday after Trinity. In thee, Lord, I have put my trust. Uh, Seventh stanza. I wasn't ready. (laughs) Seven stanzas. Uh, There's six with the doxology. Uh, TLH and Lutheran worship have five. Uh, They've cut out stanzas three and five and kind of smashed them together uh, with two and four. So we've got a couple more stanzas uh, with this one. Uh, It also written by a contemporary Luther, 1533, Adam Reusner. And it is uh, a paraphrase of a psalm. You want to get your pew Bible out? It's Psalm 31. Uh, Just like several of the Reformation hymns, uh, In Depths of Woe, I Cry to You, A Mighty Fortress, all are uh, based upon the psalms. They take the uh, psalm there. It's not necessarily a directly a paraphrase, often uh, applying it to uh, the spiritual matters of the church. So, stanza number one. Uh, Psalm 31 says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Our hymn, stanza one. In thee, Lord, have I put my trust. Leave me not helpless in the dust. Leave me not helpless in the dust. Let me not be confounded. Let me not be confounded. So already you can see, as stanza one had not uh, being put to shame. Here it speaks of not being confounded. Uh, the righteousness that it speaks of. Uh, uh, deliver me in your righteousness. Uh, obviously referring to Christ's righteousness. And so here it talks about putting our trust in uh, our Lord. Go on. Let in thy word my faith, O Lord, be always firmly grounded. So how do we learn about our Lord? Well, it comes from the word and that we might be grounded in it. That is the way in which... Uh, we will receive the refuge and our, our trust in Christ is increased. Stands, or verse 2 of Psalm 31 says, Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Stands a 2 of the hymn. Bow down thy gracious ear to me. And hear my cries and prayers to thee. And hear my cries and prayers to thee. Haste thee for my protection. Haste thee for my protection. For woes and fear surround me here. For woes and fear surround me here. Help me in my affliction. Help me in my affliction. Um, stanza three, uh, as it continues, it talks about uh, being rescued in, uh, in verse two of the hymn, uh, being a strong fortress. We have a, a defense or a rock, a place where we can take a, a protection from. Uh, then it goes on with uh, stanza or verse three and four. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. We're asking the Lord to uh, guide. And, and then it talks about this fourth, stand, or fourth verse. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. So we begin to note that there are enemies and they're setting a trap and that this refuge and this defense against those who are coming against him. Stanza three of our hymn. My God and shield, now let thy power. My God and shield, now let thy power. Be unto me a mighty tower. Be unto me a mighty tower. Whence bravely I defend me. Whence bravely I defend me. 
Against the foes that round me close. Against the foes that round me close. O Lord, assistance lend me. O Lord, assistance lend me. So we find that the affliction that's coming against us is that which is coming by these foes. Uh, and uh, if God is the shield, then I can be brave. Uh, then I can uh, stand up uh, in, in defense because I know I have a God who is taking care and, and providing me. So this uh, asking for assistance and uh, that he would uh, hurry up and, and, and help me. That third verse of the psalm, then in stanza four, Thou art my strength, my shield, my rock. Thou art my strength, my shield, my rock. My fortress that withstands each shock. My fortress that withstands each shock. My help, my life, my treasure. My help, my life, my treasure. So it builds on top, kind of rock upon rock. Strength, shield, rock, fortress, help, life, uh, treasure, all the things uh, that the Lord has, uh, is for us, that we might be, as it says, brave. Whate'er the rod, thou art my God. Whate'er the rod, thou art my God. Not can resist thy pleasure. Not can resist thy pleasure. So, no matter what comes against him, he says, this is just a, a, a rod that is uh, uh, training me, that's teaching me, and uh, I, I want whatever uh, your will is, your, your pleasure. So, if I have a God that's for me and is all these things for me, I, I need not fear. The net that is set against us in verse 4, this trap, this net... Uh, we find in stanza four, the world for me has falsely set. The world for me has falsely set. Full many a secret snare and net. Full many a secret snare and net. To tempt me and to harm me. To tempt me and to harm me. So we find that this snare and net is none other than the world bringing its false doctrine, its lies, its teaching at us. Um, and uh, uh, the world is, is a world of sin is coming against us uh, to tempt me and to harm me. Lord, make them fail. Do thou prevail. Lord, make them fail. Do thou prevail. Let their disguise not charm me. But their disguise not charming. Then we get to the uh, sixth verse or sixth stanza and the fifth verse of Psalm thirty one. Psalm thirty one, verse five. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. What's uh, what's the context of this verse? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jane? Jesus said on the cross. This is the last words of Christ on the cross that uh, uh, he speaks. And so our Lord has picked up Psalm uh, 31 as well. And so we realize. Um, stanza 6. With thee, Lord, have I cast my lot. With thee, Lord, have I O faithful God, forsake me not. O faithful God, forsake me not. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've cast our lot with our with our Lord. That's why uh, we have all of this, and so we too are to uh, commend our soul to Him. We are to into our hands commit our spirit. And yet we will not be forsaken, for the Lord himself was. To thee, my soul commending. To thee, my soul commending. Lord, be my stay, lead thou the way. Lord, be my stay, lead thou the way. Now and when life is ending. Now and when life is ending. 
And so we have a God who leads us in the way. Uh, the way is to eternal life, but it's not just speaking of the future. Uh, do it right now. Uh, provide for me. The doxology is not a typical doxology, but actually uh, uh, extends the hymn just a little bit. It actually was added later, but all honor, praise, and majesty. All honor, praise, and majesty. To Father, Son, and Spirit be. To Father, Son, and Spirit be. Our God forever glorious. Our God forever glorious. So that's the typical doxology, letting us know that the God that we are speaking of is none other than the triune God, even in the Psalms. But it goes on to say, in whose rich grace will run our race, till we depart victorious. So the God who has redeemed us, the one in whom we have committed our spirit, uh, we know we're going to be victorious over the uh, uh, trials, and thus there is a, a, a resurrection. Uh, the hymn itself, as I said, is included. It's pretty familiar, just a little bit different in the tune, especially in the very first uh, line. In the Lord have I put my trust. Lead me not helpless in the dust. Let me not be confounded. Let in thy word my faithful Lord be always firmly grounded. We'll do the rest of it in just a few moments. We're on the second article of the Creed. We started that last time. Uh, it's included on page 13 of your small uh, booklet. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We began to look at what uh, uh, Luther said. What does uh, this mean? We talked about how Jesus Christ is both true God and true man. Uh, we speak there of the two natures of Jesus Christ. Uh, he has always been God from eternity. He's always been true God. Uh, but at his conception, he became true man and will be for eternity. Always true God and uh, true man. He came to do a twofold work. He came to do two things for us. How do we describe that twofold work? To live the perfect life and to die the perfect, as the perfect sacrifice for ourselves. Good. We talk about what he actively did for us. He kept the law. He lived a perfect life for us. He loved his neighbor as himself. He kept the law, active obedience. We also speak about his passive obedience. Um, he, in keeping with the Father's will, allowed them to uh, persecute him, to, uh, uh, to kill him. Uh, he placed himself underneath Pontius Pilate, though he's the Lord of Lords, uh, the King of Kings. He placed himself under Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate uh, decided that uh, to save his own job. He was going to have Jesus die, though, though he knew he was innocent. Jesus submitted to that uh, death. He did that for us. We usually describe Jesus' passive obedience, what he did in, in, in suffering for us. We describe it by some terms. The vicarious atonement. 
vicarious atonement. What is atonement? Hmm. Yeah, Mark. It's to make a price for something. It is. You are correct. It is a price that has been made uh, in order that things might be set right, um, brought back. Um, uh, we usually use the word redeem if we're talking about buying back, but a, atonement can uh, uh, can uh, satisfy a debt that that uh, needed to be paid. Jesus, by his atonement, um, you might keep in your mind, uh, atonement, you can break it up, at one meant. There had been two. We had been separated from God by the fall. We've been put at one again. We've been restored. The Father's uh, wrath had been satisfied. Uh, the death which needed to happen because of the curse of the, uh, the law had been paid. So that is the atonement. What is vicarious? Hmm. Uh, for another. Done for another. A vicar is someone who is a substitute in place of. Exactly. Um, the Pope describes himself as the vicar of Christ on earth. The replacement, the uh, uh, substitute, yes, and so uh, uh, not right, but that's that's exactly uh, what it is. So the vicarious, a substitutional payment price that has been uh, uh, done to bring back two sides which were apart. Uh, they have been made one by his vicarious atonement. Uh, which he has purchased, he now uses, and when we get to the third article of the Creed, we're going to see that this purchase price, this atonement, is then offered through the preaching of the word that it might be received by faith. Faith is this thing uh, that receives the gift. And so it is through the uh, Holy Spirit calling us by the gospel uh, that he then creates faith in our hearts that we would receive uh, his, his, his work for us. What does that work do for believers? It's preached. There is faith so that we hold on to the atonement. It's been given you might say, uh, we receive it. Uh, what's the result of that justification by grace through faith? What's the result in the believers? First of all, justified, which means declared righteous. We're declared to be a saint. First of all, that's it. Um, but there are other things as well. I mean, that, that's the most important thing. And everything has to flow out of that, for sure. Salvation. We are saved, rescued from death. from death, the devil. Uh, from the devil. Sin. Usually, we talk about and the world and the sinful world. Um, what about death? What about temporal death? Got it. So that isn't one that God just takes away, except for a couple people like Enoch and uh, uh, Elijah who uh, are taken up apart from death, except for a couple exceptions. Um, he doesn't take it away, but yes, he changes what it is. He says that it is now simply a doorway to eternal life and promises that there will be a resurrection of the body. So yes, yeah, just for a time. Just for a time. Uh, what about spiritual death? Hmm. Well, it saves us from, from spiritual death, which is the only real death to worry about. You are right. 
Exactly. I if death, death itself, physical death, obviously isn't that important. Oh, God wouldn't have removed, wouldn't have prevented everybody from dying. After all, you know, there are a couple exceptions to that. So death is just one more thing that happens to you down the road that doesn't matter that much, <laughs> other than the fact that then you you pass from that's just really the way you pass from one one thing into the life that's promised to you. So, we usually speak of temporal and spiritual and eternal death. That eternal death, the second death, is the thing that we are exempt from completely because of what Christ has done. The only thing that really matters. Uh, There is a spiritual death that Adam and Eve uh, experience right away where we talk about original sin and cupiscence and, 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 and of such in which already the effects of that are being undone as God, through his word, builds his image back in us through faith. In other words, God gives us his gifts, enlightens us with his gifts. Um, But, again, that is uh, uh, simply something that that we uh, um, do battle with while we're here, but but, uh, uh, the Lord has given us uh, the man of God, everything that he needs to know through the word of God. Um, physical death, yes, he's undone that through the resurrection. So we, we get uh, salvation, being saved from things. What other gifts? Sanctification. We get, not only we get things taken away, we're given stuff. We're given not only the holiness of Jesus Christ so that we are declared saints, but we're also given sanctification. That is, we are, are given the uh, ability. He talks about how he gives us good works that we might walk in them. Um, he provides for us things like uh, prayer. Um, uh, he provides for us praise, sacrifice, and thanksgiving. He provides for us uh, <coughs> fruits of the Spirit, my love and joy and peace. Um, these are the things that result um, that he might give to us and is already giving to us uh, right now because of Christ's vicarious atonement and believers who have uh, received what he has, what he has provided. Okay, so we've got the two natures of Christ. We've got the two works of Christ. Um, I think I skipped over the two states of Christ. Hmm. We always get twos when we got Jesus. The state of humiliation and state of exaltation. What is his state of humiliation? He became man for us and and allowed, did not make use of his divine nature, his divine uh, uh, he could have stopped all these. And yet he did that, humiliated himself, did that on our behalf that he might do his, his works for us. Um, Yes, he was born of a woman. He suffered. He slept. He ate and drank. He all the stuff that that he did on our on our behalf. When does the state of exaltation begin? We know we're already there at what? When he rose from the dead, we already know that he is making use of his divine powers. Uh, He is no longer suffering on our behalf. Um, And so, yes, uh, uh, we are definitely with the resurrection, with 40 days later, with his ascension, with his coming back on the last day. We are clearly in his, his state of exaltation. But Mark? But he also did miracles while he was here. Things that no man could do. Good. That's why I'm pretty careful when I state the humiliation is he did not fully and always make use. Right. He did at times make use of it, of his divine, as he rose from the dead or he had knowledge of things. Um, He always did that on 
as a benefit for us. He never used that for his own benefit. He never believed his his humiliation. Correct, correct. He never cut it short. He never, you know. um, All right. So, Karen? You got his baptism at the beginning of his three-year ministry. Then you have his three-year ministry. Then you have his final week and his suffering and his death. His death is, well, if you're really God, come down from the cross. He didn't. That's his state of humiliation. On the cross, he said, it is finished, that is, his suffering, all of that is completed. So when he descended to hell, his descent into hell is his making use of his divine powers already. They take him down from the cross. No. Um, They're still carrying him around. They lay him in a tomb, which, that's where you put dead people uh, the stone is placed in front of it but what he did not hold him more than that in the tomb he did not decay he did not decay already it is being shown that it does not have power over him um, and so already with his uh being in the tomb and yet not decaying, and then somewhere in between him laying in there, you know, with with the resurrection, he, he uh, uh, descends into hell, which is part of his exaltation, not a part of his suffering. He didn't go to hell to suffer. He went there to proclaim the victory. So uh, we see the uh, the two states of that. So when he says it is done, is that the? That's usually where we where we put it. But it, I, again. You know, if he was fully and always making use of his divine powers, he didn't need to be carried to the tomb. He didn't need to be washed. He didn't need to be. But so there's, we're just going to say there's a little, it's not quite exactly. But that's where I usually put it, you know, uh, um, uh, with that as well. So, okay. Um, The... That's it. Good. Questions? All right. Let me light the candles and we'll begin. to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ, You may be seated. The reading is on the back of the yellow bulletin. It's Luke chapter 14. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you, 
having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. And when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. Our hymn on your white sheet, and thee, Lord, have I put my trust. In thee, Lord, have I put my trust. Leave me not helpless in the dust. Let me not be confounded. Let in thy word my faith, O Lord, be always firmly grounded. Bow down thy gracious ear to me, and hear my cries and prayers to thee. Face me for my protection, for woes and fear surround me here. Help me in my affliction. My God and shield, now let thy power be unto me. A mighty power, when straightly I defend against the foes that round me close, O Lord, assist and me. Thou art my strength, my shield, my rock. My fortress that withstands each shot, my help, my life, my treasure, whatever wrong, thou art my God, not can resist thy pleasure. Falsely said, O man, and to tempt me and to harm me. Lord, make them fail, do thou prevail, let their disguise not charm me. With the Lord I cast my lot. O faithful God, forsake me not. To thee my soul commanding. Lord, be my stay. Lead thou the way. Now and when life is ending. All honor Majesty to Father, Son, and Spirit be our God forever glorious, in whose rich grace will run our race till we depart victorious. Amen. 
Normally on the Sabbath, uh, they would uh, begin, that would begin on Friday night at about 6 and, and go to Saturday at 6. And so normally there was a Sabbath uh, meal at the, in the Jewish house. Uh, if you could get a rabbi, if you could get someone to come to your uh, uh, Seder meal, your Sabbath, uh, you would invite him to come and then he would have a teaching, uh, a sermon, if you will, or a, a dialogue kind of uh, a message and would do some teaching. Uh, Jesus gets invited. He's the rabbi. He's the traveling preacher. He gets invited. Who's Whose house does he get to go to? Whoa, a ruler, the Pharisees. Um, you've heard about uh, the rulers. Uh, that's called the Sanhedrin. There was, you know, uh, the high priest and 70 others, and they were, the, you know, the, the supreme court of, of religious matters and, and uh, kind of the college of cardinals, if you will, or whatever you want to say. Uh, Jesus gets invited to the ruler, uh, one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Hmm. What do we know about most of these rulers of the Pharisees kind of thing? They don't like Jesus. <laughs> Wait a minute. If they don't like Jesus, how come Jesus gets invited to this? Find some way to hurt him. You are right. Um, this is not Karen. I was just thinking of one of the verses we say about snares and nets. Yeah, they you exactly. They've set a snare, so um, they invite him to come, but not because they're going to give him great honor, not because they want to listen to his teaching, not for any of those reasons. They've come to catch him. That's exactly their purpose. Does Jesus go? He has to fear. What about that? He has nothing to fear. He does. You are correct. Probably a teaching moment. You think he knew? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. He may even have known and said, fine. Um, you want me to come? I'll come and I'll do teaching. Um, you know, I, I, you think they needed to hear his teaching? Yes, they did. Yeah, just like you might say, the publicans and sinners or Matthew's friends at his house. Fine, you invite me. Um, I'll come uh, and I'll give you the teaching. So, here he is. He's at the house. Uh, let's us know at the end of verse 1, they watched him closely. They are not there to learn. They're there to catch him. Verse 2 has the behold. That's got the surprise word. Um, but I'm afraid nobody was surprised. Um, they're in the house of a ruler, and all of a sudden, a man shows up with drops. We call it edema. It's, it's uh, um, water, retention of water. So your legs, your arms all get puffy. Um, yeah, normally it, it results in uh, uh, cardiac arrest kind of uh, complications and all. But anyway, uh, this man with edema uh, shows up at the table in the Pharisee's house. How did he get in there and how did the... It was a setup. And the surprise was not a surprise. Um, they had it all ready to go. It was the Sabbath day. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. And so, uh, a man with dropsy comes in, and Jesus, and I note, answering um, what would be the unspoken question at all. He knew exactly what was going on. And so he gives... You know, you would say a response, an answer. He says uh, to the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful for to heal on the Sabbath? I'm going to say this is a very respectful, this is a very honest, this comes from a Jesus who wishes to do what? He's going to teach him. 
okay, you brought this guy in here. Let's talk about it. Let's go through the law of God. Let's talk about what happened. Now, were there laws? Did the Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, did they talk about how you shall do your work on six days and you'll not do it on the Sabbath day? On the Of course there were those laws. And Jesus says, okay, so bring them on. Let's talk about those. Um, verse 4, what happens? Um, these are rulers of, I mean, this isn't catechesis night. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, they, 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 they obviously know the word of God. The thing that bothers me about their silence is, Jews have been arguing about the small details of the law for a thousand years at this point. There was already an answer here, so why didn't they say it? They would not. I mean, they, they would have had, they, if they'd been talking among themselves, they would have had an answer already. They were trying to catch Jesus. Exactly. They had a plan, and the plan was that this man would come in, Jesus would heal them, then they would accuse him of wrongdoing. We can't have teaching. We can't have a discussion. We can't mess up this process. Who's going to you know, yeah, yeah there's going to be. Well, I think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't ask if it's okay to heal the sound. Is it okay? He didn't say that. He said, is it lawful? Now, what law was he applying? Love the Lord your God Is it lawful? We're talking about the law. Well, what is the law? It's kept by love God. Love your neighbor. All the law is directed towards that. Um, so if we have our neighbor, we're keeping the Sabbath. Of course you are. Of course you are. And so if uh, you are coming to church and you see that somebody has a heart attack, whatever, has fallen down on the side of the road, you don't go, oh no, I've got to go to church tonight. No time to stop. You don't do that. What do you do? Well, of course, God wants me to, you know, not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. But I've got a neighbor to love. I got to stop and take care. You may miss church that day. Um, that you're not breaking the commandment. You know, there's no despising the word. There's not this. Um, in the very same way, uh, the Sabbath day is intended for the preaching and teaching and the learning of God's word. When Jesus heals a man, does this prevent us from even hearing God's word? Well, no, not at all. Um, in the same way, you come to church, you hear God's word. Sunday afternoon, you go home and you decide to go golfing. Oh, are you breaking the... Well, no. You put the word of God first. You're, um, it's not that you can't. Uh, so, these things. But in particular, there is a problem. And it has to do with why the Pharisees thought the keeping of the law was unconditional. Unconditional? Yes. I have to do it. It must happen. Because they think it's about action and not not about faith. So the Sabbath day becomes the the Sabbath day commandments, and we're not talking about all the commandments, everything goes away. They were given to, God, to man so that he would keep them and thus be saved. That's what they thought. The commandments were something I need to do in order to get saved. I've got to do this. And so everything else has to go away. 
Jesus comes and says, wait a minute. The Sabbath was not made for man. Or the no. man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was God giving man a vacation, a one-day rest from his work, so that he could receive the word of God. Not so that he could, by obeying this, be saved. Of course not. Um, and so they had it all messed up. Um, and when Jesus comes and says, okay, this is what we do. We love our neighbor. We do good on, on, on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus heals. He then, having shown them not only, uh, uh, not only has he taught them concerning righteousness and this works righteousness that they had turned the commandments in, but he also flips it around and says, wait a minute, you guys are hypocrites. He said, I saw what you did. Your animal fell into a pit and you pulled it out on a Sabbath day. What goes with that? If you do that for an animal, why wouldn't you do something good for a child of God, someone who, that, that they might receive healing? So not only did they set the rules, not only did they come to judge Jesus according to the rules, but they weren't keeping the rules themselves. And Jesus taught them. I'm going to say in a very gentle way, as, as, as he provides. Which of you, you know, uh, uh, in your doing this? This particular text has a second part. Obviously, it's built upon the first part. And so, he, after teaching a bit more, looks around and says what? I saw how you guys did what? Chose the the head of the table, the best places, the whatever. How did they do that? How did they do that? They did it in a strict picking order. The most important guy gets the best spot. Yes, yes. Um, and so, based upon their perceived righteousness, their works, the good things they did, how long they had done this, how great whatever... They went and kicked one out, but you know, and I, I ought to be, I'm, I'm at the top of the, the thing. Uh, of course, seniority, whatever you want to, want to put for it. When he saw how they did that, Jesus gives them not just a little uh, uh, etiquette, although the uh, book of Proverbs speaks this way as well. This wasn't new, it was a proverb, it's a common wisdom. Uh, when you get there, if you take the best place and the next guy that comes has more seniority, more works, and is you know more honorable than you, you're going to be asked to give up your seat. And guess what? At this point, you go to the bottom. You go to the bottom. He says, why don't you take the lowest place and no matter what, when your friend comes in, you'll be pushed up um, uh, you'll be exalted, you'll be pushed forward to take a, a higher or a better place. It works. But Jesus is teaching more than just table etiquette. Um, what did they do? They were running the show. They were sticking around and they had their pecking order of all their rulers of the Pharisees and everybody what else. And then another man came to the meal. Who was that? Jesus was invited. And when he came, uh-oh, by his teaching, they were told to go to the end of the line. That's exactly what happened. Someone more honorable came. Uh, that was Jesus. And he was the one. When he gets to the end of this parable, uh, this isn't the first time, in fact, we get this in several ones, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean to be humble? 
What does it mean to be humble? A lot of things. One would be to, to recognize that you're sinful, and that as a sinful person, you're not better than somebody else. Because these guys really, what they're doing is they're judging their own righteousness against each other. Correct. None of us, none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. Correct. And so, in humbleness, we know how we really are. We recognize our real condition. And we realize that, you know what? I probably know a couple of your sins, you know? How many of my own sins do I know? Well, about 57. Yeah, I know a whole lot more than 57 years worth of sins I know. You know, I might know a little. Who is the one that I, you know, uh, uh, I, I should be humble. How much have I done towards my own salvation? Right. Um, in all these things, everything that I have, I've been given. And so the one who is humble is able to receive. He's able to receive. The one who is proud says what? I got it all. I already know. I don't need what you have to say. I already know all about that. No, I don't need your help. I'm, I'm handling it fine myself. Um, and so it is the proud that won't receive help. The help that God is giving is he is forgiving sins and exalting. He is moving us uh, uh, forward, you would say. What about the Pharisees? Jesus comes to their meal and they can't even receive his teaching. When he asks questions, they refuse to answer because they're so proud. They're not going to be taught. No way. Um, and so those who are proud, it says, uh, those uh, you will be, comes to you, uh, you will be put to the lowest place. Um, they're sent out. They're, they're, they're done. Uh, the one who is humble receives the gifts that God has given, receives his teaching, uh, and thus receives the way of eternal life and forgiveness, uh, we see that the one who is humbled is exalted. We find that that's what the word of God does. It teaches us our sin through the law, and then it lifts us up through the gospel. But all of that comes through the teaching. Uh, and so this is, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, uh, the deadly sin of pride, it's because it prevents uh, the reception of salvation. Humility or humbleness uh, is one of the chief virtues of the Christian, for then uh, uh, he knows that he has received mercy uh, and then is thankful for that. Whenever you have pride, which you see with the Pharisees in this particular text, Guess what you always have? What? She said a fall. A fall? Very good. Um, uh, there's always going to be uh, someone who is better than you. Uh, some people are better than you in all things. Some are better than you in some things. Whatever it is, there will always be someone. But in this uh, comparison, in this pecking, in this kind of things, when you get a couple works righteous people together, there is always going to be hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus shows. That though they know the law, they themselves realize they don't keep it. But, for the sake of everybody else, I put on the facade that I've got this down. Right? Um, I'm, I'm doing this when Jesus knows, in fact, no, we're not. Um, not only inwardly, but even outwardly. We, we, we don't. Um, questions? All right. Let's do our recite word by word. Uh, with the six chief parts. Uh, who will help me with the Ten Commandments? Pastor Haroon, Apostles' Creed, Karin, Lord's Prayer, 
Leanne, baptism, Jane, confession, absolution, Dan, and sacrament of the altar. Mark, please stand. The Ten Commandments teach what we are to do. shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Apostles' Creed teaches what God does and gives. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord's Prayer teaches how we should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Holy baptism brings us into the Christian community. Christian baptism, water connected with the Word, is truly God's own work received by faith that it might impart salvation and comfort us in affliction. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Confession and absolution is the voice of the gospel. It is the proper use of the gospel to believe the absolution of our sins and to be assured that we are forgiven us without any merit on our own through Christ. And that we believe that the words of absolution, we are surely reconciled to God as we heard a voice in heaven. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The sacrament of the altar is food for the soul. We approach the sacrament in order to receive the treasure of Christ's body and blood. 
through and in which we obtain the remission of sins. This sacrament is given as daily food and nourishment, by which faith may repair and recover its strength against attack and temptation. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we implore you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.